Stand Up For The Truth is sponsored by Lakeshore Communications Incorporated and made possible by your generous tax-deductible donations at StandUpForTheTruth.com slash donate. This is Stand Up For The Truth, a packed hour of challenging discussion addressing important issues and topics affecting Christians across the nation. Join the conversation via email at comments at StandUpForTheTruth.com. Now, David Fiorazzo. Mr. Fiorazzo is off this morning. I'm Crash Connell filling in. And welcome to another edition of Stand Up For The Truth. And we thank you to our online listeners listening at q90fm.com slash app. And we thank those that share our podcasts. Uh, as David says, we've been shadow banned on some of our social media platforms. And so if you like the post, uh, that's like a thumbs up or a heart. That's, uh, that's like a positive vote for the podcast, especially when you share them. And uh, we're going to get underway today with Dave Wager, back from Silver Birch Ranch, live in our studio. And uh, Silver Birch Ranch, Relate365.com. Uh, Mr. Wager, if you would uh, open us up in prayer, please. Certainly. Let's pray. Father, again, thank you for our time together this morning. Thank you for your love, for your mercy, for your grace, for allowing us to be used of you in any possible way. I ask you to guide this conversation. Uh, allow us to be able to honor you uh, by what is going on in the next hour. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. The, um, you and I have a unique relationship here. I've been in broadcasting for 40 years, and um, I have an old joke that I used to say, uh, next time I ad-lib, I'm going to bring my notes. <laughs> I like to be prepared. And as you can see for the morning show here, I have yeah. lots of preparation. You have a lot of preparation, a lot of pages. Yep. Yep. So Very nice. it's about an hour of prep for every hour I'm on the air. Yeah. And uh, of course, something could change, and then you got to adapt. But at least I like to walk in going, here's what I hope we talk about today. Yep. But with you being a board member here at Lakeshore Communications, you walk in, and I just like 13 seconds before we go on, hey, what are you going to talk about? And you said, today, leadership. Yeah. And I said, well, I don't want to be a leader, so no, I don't go ahead. I don't need Take it. However, Maybe somebody out there wants to be a leader. However, but. for every hour that I put on in this show, I just have a lifetime of, of study for it. I, that's all. You know, what I, you know what I like to figure out? I like to challenge young people especially to always be ready to give an answer or always be ready to speak. So I challenge them every day. I think you should be thinking about something reading the Bible, mm-hmm. uh, and, and you should be ready to share what you've been thinking about with somebody. And so I, I, I really think for me it's one of those lifestyle things where if you were to catch me somewhere and say, what today would you share with me? I should be able to say, here's what I was thinking this morning, here's what I'm thinking right now. Um, and the young men that I mentor, I always ask them to do that. Anyway, right now I'm thinking about leadership. And actually love talking to college kids at the Nicolay Bible Institute about leadership, and I'll be doing that later this afternoon. And I, I, I love sitting and analyzing things because in reality, I don't like to be a leader. I, if I could classify myself as something, it would be a reluctant leader. I don't want to be in that position. Okay, now at Silver Birch, are you the leader of Silver Birch? I am, you say? Okay, and so I have been for 40 years almost. So that is the highest you can go yeah. is you. Okay. Yeah, I guess. Because um, I know you, you have so many Yeah, but I still plunge there. toilets. I, I don't know. I mean, it, anyway, when you look at the whole idea, here, here it is. Leadership is not a mystery. It's, it's something that is vital to Christianity, to our nation. And there are some characteristics to it. And I want to go through those characteristics. I've actually given the leadership. I think if you're going to be a leader— there's four characteristics you should have in your life, and they all start with a D. And the reason they all start with a D is because I'm not that smart and I need to try and remember them. And so I try and play games with the words. The first one, the first thing that I talked about to young people especially, if you want to be a leader, the first thing you need to choose to do is be a disciple or a follower, and that's the first D. I'm going to give you the other Ds, and we'll get to them. Uh, the next one is disciplined, next one is discerning, and the next one is diligent. And I want to talk about each of those if we can today. But, but the very first thing, discipline. Um, if you go into the scriptures, you see Matthew 4, 19, Jesus went 
And he was telling the disciples to do what? Do you remember? I was writing my, my notes here. Yeah, I know. But do you remember what he told the disciples when he first saw him? He said what to him? Follow me. Yeah, that was about it. Mm-hmm. Is there anything more profound that Jesus could have said? Yeah, when you said leadership, that's the first thing I thought was Jesus didn't say lead me. No, he said follow me. Right. You know, honestly, I think if you're going to be a good leader, the very first thing you have to wrestle with and the most important thing in your life is that you're a good follower. I mean, if you were to ask somebody, why do you want to be a leader? Let's say there's a young person. They want to be a leader. They want to go to leadership seminars. They want to learn to be a leader. Why does somebody want to be a leader? I guess uh, because that's just not me. Um, To be a boss? uh, uh, I don't know. Yeah, You know what? It's really hard for them to talk about because in some cases it's like, yeah, I want to. I want to be the one that makes the decisions and tells other people what to do. Yeah, I want to be a boss, or um, yeah. I would say, uh, okay, what what position pays the most? Yeah, or you know, like, okay, well, that's the position. Yeah, I, I want to be at the top of the pile. I want to control my destiny a little bit. I want to all of those reasons for being a leader. And I might suggest that all of those are bad reasons to be a leader. When you look at Jesus, you look at God. God, Jesus came to this earth. He became a baby. He was the ultimate power. He is the ultimate leader. And, and what he did was follow. He followed God. I mean, you go read, I would challenge our listeners, go read, you know, uh, John chapter 17 and understand how Jesus went through and, and basically followed God and showed the world who God was, and that was his most important task. And when he was talking to people that were, he was going to build the kingdom around, he basically said those two words, follow me, Matthew four nineteen, follow me. And then 2 Timothy, Paul picks up on this. In 2 Timothy 1.13, he says, uh, Paul says this to Timothy, he says, follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. So the apostle Paul comes and he says, you know what, I got this. I learned that I need to follow God. That's my number one responsibility. And Timothy I'm teaching you, I'm mentoring you, and the very most important quality I want you to have is to follow me. Because if A equals B and B equals C, then A also equals C. So if I'm following God and you're following me, you're following God. So my decision to follow God is the most important thing in the world because I can be a leader if I am a dedicated follower. And anyone who's a leader today, if you're going to be successful in leadership, you're going to be a follower. And some of you might say, well, I don't know about this guy. Don't look at other people. I'm talking about our lives and being a follower. Um, if you're going to be successful long term, in order to get move up the ranks in a business or whatever, you follow certain protocol, you followed certain rules, you've learned to be dependable. These are all characteristics of a good follower. In, in 1 Peter uh, 2.21, it says this, For this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, comma, leaving you an example so that you might follow his steps. Jesus came and said, you know what? You can be a leader. I can show you how to do it. In fact, that's why I'm here. I'm going to show you how to do it. I want those who love God, those who are in God's family, to really think about how important it is for them to decide that the number one factor in their life is going to be they are going to be a good follower. They are going to follow God. And then to practice that in their life. If, if you were to look at it, there's a lot of ways that we could practice being a follower. You just practice it. Uh, you're driving a car. What's the speed limit? You know, whatever it is, follow it. You say, oh, that's legalistic. That's a, a lame excuse, by the way. Don't call it following the speed limit legalistic. It's an opportunity for you to follow a regulation. And you need to work at it because each of our lives, we want to have the whole world spin around us, and it really doesn't. So what we need to do is, is make sure that we learn that when we get an opportunity to follow, we follow. Are there certain things that, uh, that you're supposed to do when you're in a grocery store? You know, certain things, you follow the rules, you do what you're supposed to do. Uh, I don't know how many bathrooms I've been in that you know, reminds you to wash your hands when you leave. But Okay, I don't want to wash my hands. Follow it anyway. That's for employees. Hey, you know what, though? It's a good idea. Ask any doctor oh my, you happen to Yeah, see. but I mean, when you said that, I'm thinking most people say, well, that's for the employees. All right, how many times should you brush your teeth a day? I brush mine a lot. 
Okay, well, how many times? Uh, what does a dentist say? Three times. Okay. For two minutes. Okay, if a dentist says that, now I don't know, my you know my dentist I think says twice a day. Or after, after every meal. What, whatever. Yeah, well, yeah. I would go to him and I would say, okay, I want to follow you. I've had several times, I'm an old football hockey player, and there are several times where I'm with a trainer or I'm with a, 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 a rehab doctor or I'm with a, an orthopedic doctor. And, you know, each time I go to them, one of the first things I tell them is this. You're the expert. I have decided that I will follow what you tell me to do. And I am going to be a good follower because if I am ever going to get well, I need to follow your directions or I need to not come in and pay you for your advice. One of the two, but I need to follow. Um, As a school teacher, I try and taught this. When I taught fifth grade, I would go to the students and I would just basically tell them this. As students, I have one expectation from you, just one. I want you to do what I tell you to do. Doesn't that sound simple? Yeah. (laughs) You're laughing. Why are you laughing? That's my only expectation. But here's why. That's That's all I'm asking them to do. Because what I heard was just do exactly what I tell you to do. Exactly. That is really hard. Yeah, but I mean, uh, Dave. Uh, Dave, let's go back to the car names. This all this is all yours. One thing: stay away from that tree. Yeah, <laughs> you know <laughs> exactly. But when I spoke to the students that way, I said, "Okay, I have two grades. Then, since I only have one expectation, I have two grades: A and F. Those are my two grades. Because either you listen to me, or you don't. And here's why it's important to me as a teacher: if you listen to me, and I know you're listening." and you still don't get the material, that's my problem. I need to teach it differently. But if you're not listening to me and you don't get the material, I have no way to help you because I don't know where we're erring here other than that you're not listening. So the key to everything is to do what I ask you to do so that I can evaluate it and be the teacher I'm supposed to be. And I think God is in that position where he looks down from heaven and says, you know what, just listen to me. Why? Because I know what I'm doing. And I'm sitting there thinking, yeah, but I should just tweak it this way or do it this way a little bit. And God's going, no, you're not going to learn that way. I need, you need to do, do it the way I tell you to do it. And if you do, you will learn. And the different thing about God than me is that as a teacher, if the kids do everything I ask them to and they don't learn, I realize my flaws where God doesn't have one. So it's really even smarter to listen to God all the time. Well, using your example, did that make uh, you a successful teacher? We're talking about leadership. Were you a successful leader over those students? Did you see that work for you? Absolutely. In fact, what, what was very interesting is when I first started teaching, uh, there were five fifth grades in the school district that I was in. And since I was a new teacher, I was a male teacher down at the uh, fifth grade level. Um, the other teachers got together and had some fun with who they put in my class. And I had a, a, a pretty rambunctious group of boys. And usually they gave me two really well-behaved girls so that I wouldn't go totally insane. And I could just look at them and roll my eyes when things were just out of control. And as a new teacher, you're more idealistic. So I went into the, the school and I looked at, here's what they're supposed to learn in fourth grade. Here's what they're supposed to learn in fifth grade. Here's what they're supposed to learn in sixth grade. And then I looked at the, you know, where my students were at, and I'm thinking, they were supposed to learn this in third and fourth grade. Why am I still teaching it? Right. And I went down and I asked the principal that simple question. How come I'm still teaching what they're supposed to already know? And he said, oh, you know, get yourself in the real world. They don't always, well, there's a problem then, and we're not hitting it right. I mean, honestly. So I started saying, you know, first of all, guys, you got to listen to me because I can't help you if you don't listen. So that's rule number one. Uh, rule number two, I, you know, I'm not going to ask you for an assignment twice. So you better write it down the first time. And, that, and so that drove them all nuts. In fact, I think the first semester I flunked almost all of them except for those two good girls. Uh, the first semester and parents came in and they said, mm-hmm. what can I do to help my kid? I said, don't do anything. Your child needs to understand that they need to take responsibility and listen, and we need to flunk them along the way so that they realize there's a consequence. And let me do this. You know, by the end of the year, most of the kids averaged about three years' growth in, in what they were doing because of the fact that they began to kick in and realize, I got some responsibility here. I have to do this or I'm going to flunk this. 
and my parents can't tell me to do it, and they can't. I mean, basically, the teacher's going to say, this is due on Friday, and if I don't turn it in on Friday, I get an F on it. And if I don't do it the way he told me, I get an F on it. So I need to listen really carefully. You know, another interesting, I was thinking about, uh, I had a high school civics teacher, social studies, whatever they call it now, um, and that was a hard course for me. And yet it ended up being my best course because the one thing I really liked about him was his was basically this simple. The class was note-taking. You remember the old uh, overhead projectors? Oh, yeah. So he had handwritten notes. And he says, you write down what I wrote, and you'll pass my class. And he was the same way. It's A or F. Yeah. And you write this stuff down, and I promise you, you will. And I I did very well in there. And that's the whole class. It really was. There was some discussion at the end. Do you have any questions about the notes? Yeah. But, um, and that was one of my best classes. And and I appreciated, you call it, some people call it legalism. I knew exactly what was expected of me. Exactly. Yep. You know, I, I think students need to understand, you need to listen to your teachers. And if you don't learn, but you've listened and did exactly what your teachers asked you to do, then your teacher needs to adjust what they're teaching and how they're teaching. But they cannot help you if you do not listen. And if I choose not to listen to God, but I expect him to help me, same position. I need to listen to God. And I need to choose right from the beginning of my life that listening to God is what's important. Now, I don't have to be overly skilled in my, my uh, delivery of different things. You know, wh- one of the interesting things is if, if I concentrate on listening to God and I concentrate on loving people around me, life seems to go the way it should go. I think sometimes in, in my early life I might have concentrated on being, you know, I want to be a super father, super dad or whatever it is. You know what? As a dad, I make mistakes. But what I can do is concentrate on looking at my kids as, a, as sheep and, and me be a shepherd and, and let them understand I care for them and love them and, and I'm trying to do what's right with them and ask them to listen to me so that we can get this thing done together. You know, the, the idea, I'm submitting to God, I want my kids to submit to me, and just like the Apostle Paul with Timothy, the whole idea of followership becomes the most critical bedstone of leadership. And anybody that wants to be a good leader needs to understand followership first. I need to follow, and then I can start moving up the ranks of influence. And if you become one who is dedicated to following, you're not so interested in having the position because you're, you're wanting to follow. And, and those followers become good leaders. Uh, in John 10, uh, I love the, idea, the, the analogy in the Bible that it talks about with sheep. When you think about it, sheep look up at their shepherd, and all the shepherd wants the sheep to do is follow them. And why does the shepherd want the sheep to follow them? Well, because they're going to keep them safe. They're going to keep them fed. They know where the water is. Just follow me. If you look at John 10, 4, it says, when he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him. Why do they follow him? There's a comma there. The next sentence tells us, for they know his voice. As a leader, one of the most important things is I need to understand who I'm going to follow. Uh, Crash, I'll tell you what I think, which is so unusual, I know. But, I, but here's what I think. I think that we were all made with the follower gene. We're all meant to follow. Everybody is meant to follow. And Satan plays with that. He gets us to follow our desires. He gets us to follow money. He gets us Wrong to follow. Things, yeah. He gets us to follow each other, and that's what, why peer pressure is so strong. But I think that we were made to follow. And I would ask all of our listeners to reevaluate their lives and say, "Okay, since I'm made to follow, and since I am following, even though I think I'm Mister Independent or Miss Independent, and everything about me is just what." I, no, you're made to follow, and you're following something. You need to make sure that you're following God. You need to make sure you're following the right thing. Because all of the other followership that you do is something that, that I think Satan has thrown out in front of you to destroy you because he takes good things and he distorts them so that you never get the benefit of them. There's a tremendous benefit in my followership, tremendous. If I will go and I will enjoy God and follow him, I will benefit and everyone around me will. Okay, now we're talking with Dave Wager from Silver Birch Ranch and Nicolay Bible Institute. 
and Relate365.com, four characteristics of biblical leadership. Now, the, you said they, they're dis, a disciple, discipline. Yep. Did I get that? All right. Discernment and diligence. Yes. All right. So we got the disciple out of the way. We're going to take a break and let's cover discipline here on Stand Up For The Truth. Your monthly financial support of StandUpForTheTruth.com is needed and appreciated. Now, back to today's Stand Up For The Truth with David Fiorazzo. Crash Connell in uh, for David Fiorazzo. Uh, Dave Wager from Silver Birch Ranch up north is uh, visiting with us today. Biblical leadership, the four characteristics. Number one was disciple. These are all Ds. Now we go into uh, the discipline of a leader, biblical leader. Yeah. You know, let me let me go back and define help define leadership clearer again for people. When I came in and I was talking to you about leadership, you said you didn't, you know, you don't, you're not a leader. You don't want to be a leader. Yeah, this was before the show what started. What did you mean by that? Just, I'm not a good leader. Well, so, so I don't, I don't, I don't chase it. I don't cha- so chase leadership. So you can't leadership. be a good follower? I'm a good, I hope I'm a good follower. Well, then you could be a good leader. You know what, I think, I think what you were really talking about, I think. What, I, w- I would not walk into this radio station before I was hired and walk up to Mike LeMay, who's general manager, and say, whatever the top leadership role is, I'd like to apply for that. Yeah, well, That's I'm not, not sure a real leader does out. that anyway. I, I think the number one characteristic is, is again, followership. And, and most people think in order for you to be a leader, they're really talking more personality. I mean, there's extroverts and introverts. And, and basically, God's gifted you with your extrovertness or your introvertness. And both of them are. Am gifts. I testing? I'm ha- I'm fifty fifty on that. I have actually yeah. Done well, some I testing. am. I, I do what I feel like on those two. I mean, I could go either way. But the bottom line really is, you know, it's not a personality thing. We're talking leadership here. In fact, some have said that you know, in order to be a leader, the definition is somebody's following. But can you be a leader and have nobody follow you? I don't know how that's possible. Okay, let me ask you a question then. Stephen in the Bible, was he a leader? Stephen, the... Uh, the, the apostle the, the, that got stoned. Was he a leader? All right, not the apostle, but the leader that got stoned. I would say he was a leader in his faith. <laughs> well, he's leading us today. When you look at it, we're looking at him as an example to follow. So, in essence, he was following, but nobody was listening. But long term... It's the following that mattered, not whether anyone at the moment was listening that mattered. So sometimes we get caught in these definitions. I mean, honestly, if you look at the definition of a lot of leadership, you're talking about about Hitler. You know, Hitler had a lot of followers. But what, what the difference is, Hitler was not a follower himself. He focused on getting others to follow him, but he wasn't a follower. That's why I stressed at the beginning point, you need to be a follower if you're going to be a leader. Very first thing is you need to be a follower and a follower of Almighty God. You do that first, then you're in, in, in a position, I believe, to be a good leader. Um, even Matthew four nineteen said, and, and he said to them, "Follow me." Jesus said that, and what will he do? I'll make you fishers of men. Of course, he was taken where they were at. They, they, what were they following? They were following the fish. They were following how to make a living. They were. Follow- he said, "No, follow me." And the rest of life is going to take twists and turns according to how I lay it out. And you're going to be fishers of men. Um, discipline. The, the first one, obviously, D, is a disciple or follower. This, the second one, discipline follower. To, to choose to be a follower is one thing. To choose to be a discipline flower, follower is another. In other words, I am going to stay following regardless of the circumstances of life. So... I'll use my wife for an example. She married me back in 1980. So this year, it's going to be 40 years. And she followed me. We were both teachers in the Chicago area and decided to move up north to Silver Birch Ranch in 1981. We both gave up our jobs. We both gave up the paychecks. We both See, it wasn't that she decided to follow me if I was making a lot of money and in a position. No, it was, we're, I'm following you. You're my husband. We're doing this together. And it's not just following. It's not like I had a dragger up north kicking and screaming. It was, no, this is what we do. I am following you, even though 
right now we're broke. And even though we gave up our jobs and even though, I mean, you can go through the whole thing. It, w- people all the time need to realize following is not, a, you don't have a qualification. Like I'm going to follow God as long as my life fits this scenario. Well, that's not going to happen. You need to say, I'm going to follow and position yourself so that the circumstances of life do not knock you off course and that you continue to follow regardless of the circumstances of life. 1 Corinthians 9.27, the Apostle Paul said this, but I discipline my body, I discipline my body and keep it under control lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. He says, you know, you know how easy it is to get to become an unfollower again? Oh, you know, it's not that I become an unfollower. It's that I start following the wrong thing again. So my body starts to dictate what I do in life and how I do things. And it's not about that. It's really about me listening to God regardless of how I feel. Uh, Once again, Crash, I I think one of the things we have to do is train our young people better to be disciplined. I think so often the body dictates what we do, the feelings, the emotions, the whatever's going on on, in the media. I mean, there are so many things we begin to follow that we don't exclusively follow God anymore. We give these other areas, places in our lives that they shouldn't have, and we get in trouble because of it. Uh, I still, and I've said this often, so I'm sorry for those who listen to us a lot, but I still ask young people uh, to practice the idea of saying no to themselves because there's going to be so many times in life where you have to say no to yourself. And you're not going to feel like it because you're going to want to follow yourself and your urges and your desires. So usually what I do is I ask them, especially if I'm mentoring a young man, to get a candy bar that they like, their favorite candy bar, whatever it is, and to place it right on their nightstand right next to their bed or somewhere where they see it. And I want them to pick it up, look at it, smell it, and put it back down and say, I'm not going to eat that. And Hmm. and just get used to the idea of saying no to something. And when that gets too easy, when you have said no to it enough and it doesn't even tempt you anymore, go get something else that does tempt you and put it there. Because the, the idea is I want you to know that you can say no to yourself. You can and, and, you know, I, I get tired of those in the evangelical world who come and say, that's so legalistic, you know, a candy bar doesn't mean anything. I understand that. I'm going to be the first to tell you the candy bar doesn't mean anything. However, because it doesn't mean anything doesn't mean we can't learn something about ourselves from it. What we need to do is be able to practice saying no to ourselves because we live in a culture that doesn't know how to do that. Well, and like you said, it's a training because there's there's people that have come to me and say, how did you do that? And I said, I had to say no to sugar, processed foods, et cetera, et cetera. They say, I can't do that. And I went, neither could I. Until you did it. And then now I do it. Yeah. So you're not tempted by sugar because when I go into the, in the uh, coffee bar here, there's yep. sugar and there's stevia. Yep. I don't, I'm not tempted. Well, nobody's going to know. It's not a sin. Right. But no. And so that's just one example. Another one with me for a long time was um, going out and eat fast food. It's just right there. It's right, yeah. It's on my way home. Yep. I can go home and get a sandwich or whatever. But no, it's right there. Yeah. Quick trip. I need gas. You know, that kind of thing. Yeah. So um, I'm just saying that, like you said, it's practice it. Yeah. You, you think about a young person today, high school, college, they're dating and, and they're, they're out on a date together and they, they begin to have, you know, desires and urges. And they, they've never actually said no to a candy bar. How in the world are they going to say no to the other temptations that arise in their life when they haven't said no to a candy bar? I think that we have to have the discussion because what happens so many times is that we, we begin to believe that we are better Christians if we say no to things and and God loves us more and we put ourselves in a new category. That is legalism, and that's something we can't get into. However, it is valid that we actually practice saying no to ourselves. What I find interesting is those who fast in the Bible. And as I grew up, I used to have people tell me all the time, you need to fast and pray. 
And I thought, okay, that makes sense. But I kept as a kid asking, what's the purpose of fasting? And they would say, well, it's just, just do it. You know what I mean? It's like, okay, but what's the purpose of it? Why? There's nothing wrong with food. There's nothing wrong with eating food. Why am I not eating food? Well, you're trying to show God how sincere you are. Well, doesn't he know already how mm-hmm. sincere I am? Do I really need to show him how sincere I am by not eating? I, if I'm really sincere, do I not eat? Is that the deal? And so I, I wrestled with that as a kid. And as I've gotten older, I've realized fasting's valuable. But not because it shows God how serious I am. It, it allows me to say no to myself. And you know I'm discovering as I get older, whenever I say no to myself, whenever I just discipline my life, good comes out of it somehow. It's just, so now if, if I'm at a, uh, a, a place in a big city, and I live in the middle of the Northwoods, so I don't get this a lot, but if I'm somewhere where there's an elevator or stairs, I'll take the stairs. And, and it's not because I necessarily you know, want to hurt myself or anything. It's like, no, the hard way. I'm going to discipline myself. I don't feel like taking the stairs, so I'm going to. I think those little moments in life that I just force myself to do something that I don't feel like doing have become some of the most valuable things that I do. Uh, in 2 Timothy 1, 7, the Apostle Paul says this, For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power, and love, and there's another in there, and self-control. One of the things that we understand, what, you know, if you have listened to the conversation so far, one of the things that you're, you're gathering is that it's okay for us to be disciplined people and say no to things. I mean, that, that's a good thing. It's not okay to be legalistic and think we're better than anyone else for doing it. In fact, it's really not that. It's the earlier context of the conversation. You and I are made to be followers. We really are made that way. We follow. That's what we do naturally. So I need to be careful that I don't start following because Satan's working at that. He just wants me to follow anything or anybody but God. So I need to be careful that I'm not following uh, my body, my urges, my desires. I need to be careful that I'm not following the things in life that are so easy to follow that just give me a quick high or a quick satisfaction rating or something like that. I, I got to make sure that that's not part of my life. Uh, Titus 1.8, it says, uh, but hospitable, a lover of good, comma, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. Oh, wow. You know, self-controlled and disciplined. The, the people that look at it say, you know, it is so easy to so quickly fall into greed, uh, lust, uh, whatever it might be. Why? Because we're satisfying an appetite that we just have never learned to say no to. In fact, we haven't learned to say no to any because we've grown up in a church that talks about mercy and grace, and we, we've mistakenly thought that grace means that we don't really discipline ourselves and that God loves us anyway. The truth of the matter is that God does love you no matter what. He, he's an almighty God. He loves you desperately. But if you've been listening to this broadcast, it starts then by me acknowledging that and saying, okay, I'm going to follow him, and then I'm going to be disciplined, and I'm going to keep following him no matter what. No matter what the circumstances are, no matter what, where he puts me in life, the decision to follow him is going to be something that, that spurs on the discipline of following him. And uh, it's kind of like being married. You know, when I got married, I made a covenant with my wife and that we were going to stay married all of our lives, that we were going to stay married regardless of our financial condition, regardless of our health. We were going to stay married and faithful to each other. We did not make an arrangement when we got married. We made a commitment when we got married. Now, here's what I have to do in life then. Anything that starts to erode the commitment that I made to make sure that my wife and I have a pure relationship needs to get out of my life. Anything that does that, whether it be media, whether it be, you know, having dinner with somebody of the you know, opposite gender that, you know, and not have my wife there or whatever it is. I need to adjust my life and be disciplined in a way that says, here's what's important. This relationship with my wife's what's important. So I'm going to discipline my days and make sure that those days include who she is and what she's about. Um, we, we find that interesting. I, I, almost every day, 
when we're home together, I, I will ask her in the morning or the night before, what time do you want to, if this time of year it's, it, there's snow on the ground and our ski trails are nice, and so it would be, what time do you want to ski together today? And we'll set a time. Do you know, Crash, that almost every day when it gets to be that time, I don't want to ski? <laughs> almost every day. Yep. You know, I've already put in a full day. I'm tired, and it's like I'm going to go home, and i got to change into I, my ski clothes. Yep, I'm going to yep. go out and ski. I don't want to do this. I'm like, my body is screaming. I don't want to do this. But I told my wife we were going to do this. And you know what? She has the same thing. It's like, yeah, we talked about we're going to do this, but I could just sit in a chair right now. I'd be fine. I'm thinking, we're not. We're going skiing. Why? We're disciplining ourselves. This is good for us. We need to go do something that is really. And after we ski, we look at each other. It's like, that was great. You know, we really need to do that. Yes. But did we feel like it? No. So I had a chance to follow my desires or my urges. Or I had a chance to actually set it up so that I would have to say no to my desire and urges and go out there and do something that was profitable. With with us, it's it's the gym. Yeah. Same thing at the gym. Yeah. We'll put on the gym clothes. We're going to do this. We're going to do this. And like, that's, I'm going to go warm up the car. Yeah. You know, yeah. we got to go do this. We yep. gotta, we're we're going to go do this. And yes, afterward, it's like. And can, that's where your leadership has to come out regardless of your personality. You have decided to follow God and to follow what's right in, in your lives. And you're going to say no to yourself. And that's the first two points I'm making. That's what makes a leader. It isn't somebody who says, I don't know what I'm following and now I'm following my urges or desires. And it isn't somebody who leaves enough opening in their life so that the decisions and the commitments they made uh, cannot be done. No, you should make sure that if you've made a commitment, that nothing can get in the way of that commitment. And if anything starts getting in the way of the commitment, you need to change it. And that's called discipline. That isn't legalism. Okay, uh, Dave Wager from Silver Birch Ranch on Stand Up for the Truth, crash filling in for David Fiorazzo. Now, uh, four characteristics you mentioned at the beginning of the broadcast. We got uh, disciple and discipline. Now, you got two more. You think you're going to be able to fit those in by the end of the I'll hour? squeeze them in hard. Discernment and diligent uh, coming up here on Stand Up for the Truth. Thank you for listening and sharing today's show via StandUpForTheTruth.com slash podcast. Now, back to Stand Up For The Truth. Here's David Fiorazzo. Crash in for David with Dave Wager from Silver Birch Ranch and Nicolay Bible Institute. Also, Relate365.com. Uh, so, we've been doing this so far for about 40 minutes. So, if I'm hearing you right, Dave Wager, you're saying the Bible says we can't lead until we follow. Right. I think if you're going to be a leader, be a good follower, number one. Uh, number two, you better do stuff to keep a good follower because Satan will get you to want to follow something else so that you can't be an exclusive or good follower anymore. That was number two, be disciplined. The All third right. Go ahead. is discerning. Obviously, all of us in life have a lot of options in life. Uh, whether you sit down and eat food, I mean, you have a discernment thing going on. Do I eat this? Do I eat that? How does this affect me? How does that? Some people don't think about it at all. I think they should probably think about it. But one of the things that we do have to realize is that Satan is really good at what he does, and he throws a lot of smoke screens up. He throws a lot. Of, he uses the way we are to help destroy us if we'll let him do that. So since I am a follower the way God made me, I'm, I'm made to follow him. And I'm made to love you, Crash, and other people, which means I'm made to follow what's best for you. That's what I'm made to do. And there's my discernment point. I'm actually made to follow what's best for somebody else. I may not be able, I may not be made to follow what's best for me. I'm made to follow what's best for you and for the people in my life. When Jesus was asked what life was about, he basically said, love the Lord your God. Okay, follow him. Because later we're, we're told what that love means. It means obey his commandments. So it's number one, follow him. Number two, love one another. So what that means is that I look at other people and think, how do I use my influence, my resources, my time, my talent, my ability, my home, my car? How do I use these for the good of this other person or these other people? So what we're doing is following what's best for them and not necessarily for us. I have a quote that I, that I put down here that I like talking to young people about especially. I tell them this. Uh, leaders will always have power and influence. They're, they're always going to have that. But power, here's the quote, power and influence are valid 
only if they're used for the good of others. There is power that goes with leadership. Think of, of God. Think of Jesus. He's on the cross. These people wronged him. He's hanging there. And he looks at him and he says, Father, he didn't say, Father, strike him with lightning, give him all leprosy. He didn't do that. He had the authority probably to do it. He had the power, certainly. He was God. Instead, he said, Father, forgive them. How was he using his power and influence? He was using it for them. When God recognized that, that man, and he knew this obviously was going to happen, that man chose to sin and we were all become sinners, instead of just wiping out the universe, which he certainly could have done, he used his power and his influence so that you and I could be in his family by sending his son, Jesus, down to this earth to die for us. You see, power and influence are valid only if they are used for the good of others. I, I, I wonder often, how many leaders have you known that basically would be known because their power and influence was used for others and not themselves? You know, I mean, that, that's a quality of a great leader is that they just always are looking for ways to use whatever God's given them in the lives of somebody else. There, there's real greatness. And if, if I were to say in life, you know, there's real greatness and there's false greatness. Uh, real greatness means that you're loving God, loving people. That, I mean, that, if you actually are somebody who's going to make an impact on the world, those are the two things you do well. You love God, follow God. You love people and discern that your wealth and your time and your effort and all that are for the good of somebody else. False greatness, and a lot of people chase this instead, false greatness is really wealth, position, fame. Those are things that people actually chase and think they're going to find fulfillment in them. And then they think, I'm going to be great because I'm going to be wealthy or I'm going to have a position in this company or in the world. You know, I'm going to be president of the United States and that, or or I'm going to be famous and, and you know, I'm going to walk around. People are going to point at me and go, they know me. And they th you know, that's false greatness. It's, it's not that you, you, I mean, anybody might have wealth or position or fame. It doesn't make them great. What makes somebody great in God's sight is that they love God and they love people. They are, they are, they are those who have discerned this, what's, what's important in this life. And they live in the context of actually what is right. Uh, Max Dupree once said this, and I'm not, I'm not suggesting you go and be a disciple of his or anything. I'm just saying something he said. He said, it is not enough for us to focus on our own personal growth and successes that we achieve. At some point, the most effective thing that you or I will ever do as leaders is to step aside and let that young person we have grown take the reins and lead. Again, a, a really, really good leader is not about making sure they hoard the power and authority. Um, my dad was really great at this. He loved training young people to become better at what he did than what he did. When you were saying all that, I was thinking of, of the scripture, uh, humble yourselves and he yeah. will exalt you. And uh, I see it said, uh, that's in 1 Peter 5, 6, James 4, 10, almost word for word. Yep. And Matthew 23, 12, Jesus said it. Yep. All, word for word, humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up. Yeah, you know, one of the, one of the things that I learned from my dad that I think is so precious is he, he would look at young people and try and figure out ways to make them extremely good at what they did, even if they excelled past him in what they did. So if somebody became well, a— That's a great testament. Oh, it is. You, you That's know what, a great testament. You know what I found, too? Let's just, let's just play a game here. Let's say that I spend my life— working with you, Crash. I knew you since a kid, and I, I spent my life trying to get you to, to uh, be the best Crash you could be, be the best husband you could be, love God, follow him. And now at this stage in life, I'm watching you, and you are so successful. You are so much better at everything that I've ever tried to do. A lot of people are afraid that if, if they do that, the young people just take over and leave them in the dust. I have never found that to be true. If, if, if you train people the way that they should go, they don't depart from it. And, and when you get old, there'll be a lineup of people that want to take care of you because they've learned how to do that. They've learned how to give their life away and use their resources for other people and use their resources for, you know, I, I love being in the, the position of a mentor or a coach, uh, you know, a, a life coach and that kind of thing. I just love doing that. Why? Because in my life, I want to give away everything I've learned. 
And in the process, if the people that I'm meeting with are going to be stronger and better than I am at whatever, um, I think there's several students that have gone through Nicolay Bible Institute that have gone on and become pastors and teachers and college professors and different things. And I think that there, yeah, I can think of one in, in very particular. He is brilliant. I don't even think I can keep up with his language. I mean, the words that he uses and the concepts, I think he's, is, and I just look at him and go, that's, you know, you've passed me way up. Continue to do what you do. I'll cheer you on. I may not understand everything you say all the time, but um, I'm proud of you. You see, there, there's this moment. It's not enough for us to focus on our personal growth. Leaders know that. They don't, they don't do that. And, and I always would dream about what, what if the leaders of our country, the leaders of our churches, uh, what if they were people who, who really had goals and dreams for the people and not for themselves? What would they look like? I don't even know if they'd be electable. I, you look at him and you wonder, is there a politician? Is there somebody out there that, that genuinely is concerned more about the people than their own personal agenda? And, and would they make decisions, hard decisions? I, I look at, at the politicians through the years and the debt that our nation is embroiled in, and I think, you know what? It, they're not caring about the future generation because they're not making decisions about this debt. Yeah. And they can say whatever they want. But the truth is, if you're a real leader, what you're figuring out is that I have to make some really hard decisions because I'm going to follow what's right. It's not that you're trying to just make me happy right now. It's that you do what's right. And what's right is to move us towards getting out of debt in that situation. Like you said, uh, would they even be elected? Yeah. Q90 FM, we're on Stand Up for the Truth with Dave Wager from Nicolay Bible Institute and Silver Birch Ranch. You got one more D. I do, diligence. I, th I think that the diligence part comes from really understanding that this is a thing that you will never end. It will never end. And, and I put it in there separate from discipline because I think it's a mental discipline in a way. You realize, you know, if I talk to somebody who is struggling with alcohol and they're an alcoholic, what I talk to him about is giving up alcohol completely and never, ever having another one. Never. Now, until they decide they want to do that, they're probably going to stay an alcoholic. You need to get that off the table. You know, I, I helped a young person once who wanted to quit smoking, and, and for a while, it just wasn't working. Finally, I said to this person, I said, so where are you getting your, your cigarettes from? Uh, my glove compartment in my car. You, you haven't decided that you're not going to smoke anymore if you keep a pack in there. You know, I mean, you have to decide that you're going to be diligent on this and never do it again. You know, and, and we were, you and I were talking about this years ago about legalism. Yeah. And the discussion was about legalism. And I don't think, uh, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but grace does not override discipline. No, discipline is part of what we do. But diligence is what I'm talking here. It's the idea of having the mind frame that, Things are going to permanently change. That's the diligence. And you set your life up for it then. For example, when I um, married my wife, you know, 40 years ago, all right, I am not having casual relationships with any other females for the rest of my life as long as she lives and I live. I'm not doing that. So, so because I have finalized that, that's the diligence part, because I have finalized it in my brain, I'm not setting up for any of that. You see, discipline is going to put me in a position now where, where I'm going to do the right things every day. The diligence part is, no, I, I am going to never put it in my path again. You know, someone who struggles with um, watching too much media, and I'll, I'll laugh about it, but sometimes I give them this advice. Get rid of all your televisions and your, your social media accounts. It's like, oh, no. Well, see, you're going to keep an opening for it. And as long as you keep an opening for it, it's going to drive you nuts. The diligent factor is I am never going to go back to something again. And you need to have the courage to say I'm not going to do that. And, and as long as you make provision for the flesh, the flesh will scream at you. But if you make no provision for it, all of a sudden you've taken away some of its power. Um, it, it's interesting as you go through and you, you look and... Um, even when, when Jesus was uh, working with Peter, I love it because Peter, you know, eventually denied Christ, did all that kind of stuff. 
But Jesus was talking about, you know, I, I don't want you to go back to fishing, this diligence. You, you have a job to do. Get back over here. Your job is to feed and to tend and care for my sheep. That's your job. And you need to get that through your head that that's what I put you on this planet for, and that's what you're going to do long term. So start thinking in those terms and quit thinking about fishing. You know, I think what we do is we always have these, these ways to fall back to the way we were. We like leaving the door open in case. Plan we, B. Yeah. And I'm saying no plan B. Plan B. Don't yeah. have it. Diligence means I'm not making plan B. The only plan I got is listen to God. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that's the plan they had. Uh, what's plan B? There is no, you know, plan B to me would be I'm going to sneeze when the music plays and tie my shoes. Um, that way I look like I bowed, but God knows I didn't bow. That was plan B. <laughs> However, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego followed God, and they had no plan B. They were diligent, and because of their diligence, their thought process, then, and because of their discipline up to this point, remember, they didn't eat the food that the king offered them. They were disciplined up to this point. Look at beyond that. They were described as young people that worked hard. That I mean, they had discipline. They were followers. They were following God. They, they were people who were diligent in that they didn't give themselves an out to change it. And I think that's what makes a good leader. And I think that if you want to be a good leader, you got to have those four qualities in your life. And if you do, you can be a good leader. Discipline, or disciple, discipline, discerning, and diligence. You need to be one who's diligent. Um, Oliver Wendell Holmes uh, said this, a professional is an amateur who didn't quit. Quitters are shameful losers because they eclipse tomorrow's purposes with today's pleasures. They're, um, We're going to... Good one to wrap that one up on here. All right. It's uh, Dave Wager from uh, Silver Birch Ranch and Nicolay Bobble Institute today on our podcast. And we'll wrap it up here in just a moment. Stand Up for the Truth, a ministry of Lakeshore Communications Incorporated. Keep the discussion going on social media. Stand Up WI on Facebook and Twitter. Now, we wrap up today's Stand Up for the Truth. David Furazzo will be back this week here with more Stand Up for the Truth. Our guest today has been Dave Wager from uh, Silver Birch Ranch and Nicolay Bible Institute. Now, another great resource for leadership training and uh, leadership resources is your website. What is this? Yes, go to Relate365.com. Relate365.com. A lot of resources there that we put up for people uh, various ways. So go there, check it out, and uh, see if we can help. That's Relate365.com. All right. Thanks for coming in. And remember to speak for the truth about things that matter.